Introducing the exclusively at Tesco range of brands. Hundreds of quality products at our lowest prices. Because saving you money is our bread and butter. And carrots. And biscuits and grated cheese and minced beef and baked beans. You get the idea. Our best value is exclusively at Tesco. Every little helps. Excludes Tesco Express. Welcome to the Wholesale Art Podcast Show. And today I am talking to Kimberly Brulette, author of the Ministry Murders series. Secrets, Secrets in the Shadows, Book One, and Devil in the Details, Book Two, 2014 and 2015 Paranormal Award winners for fiction. Book Two won the 2016 New Apple Award. Method in the Madness, Book Three, and conclusion of the series is available soon. The Military Murder series was received five star reviews on Amazon. Clearly, it's writing Fury of the Fallen. And is producing monastery ministry murder series, series and audio film soon. And I'm going to now speak to Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. How are you today? We're fine, thank you. How are you doing? Okay. How do you go about writing your books? Well, um, I began writing my books because um, we were actually living in a haunted apartment. And we started experiencing a lot of things uh, very much out of the ordinary. So we deci- I decided that I would take some of those uh, experiences and incorporate them into a series. Well, actually, at first it was just going to be the one book. And a friend of mine invited me to work on a story with her, and it seemed like a good match because I was able to take a lot of my own experiences and incorporate them into the paranormal scenes of the books. So a lot of the scenes that you read in the books are based and or at least inspired by uh, things that I've experienced personally. I've been reading uh, parts of your book and I enjoyed the character of the sheriff. I wonder, was he based on someone you knew in real life? Actually, no. He kind of uh, reminds me, I think of him as, if you remember the... Um, there's the old show um, with Carol O'Connor. Uh, he kind of, I always thought that he, you know, that old sheriff, you know, the kind of, you know, one that didn't really give a crap what everybody else thought. And, you know, he just kind of did his own thing and he was a little gruff with everybody, but he has a, like a, a sense of humor of his own and, uh, you know, kind of a dry, dry sense of humor. And uh, just kind of a little bit more crass you know, than, than a lot of people. He's a little older, so he doesn't really care what anybody thinks, you know, about him. And so he is, uh, you know, he he talks, you know, while he's eating, he talks, you know, with his mouth full. He, t- he says a lot of the rude comments. He's real crass with people. And so, um, but I, I kind of took him from Carol O'Connor, the actor that played a um, in the, in the heat of the night, if you remember that show from the, I guess it was the 90s, I think it was. Um, he was the, the sheriff in that uh, in that series. Did you involve that character to put like a comedy, a comedic involvement to keep the, sh- the book a little bit lighter and go darker in the next moment? Yes. Yeah, I, I feel like if you if you have a constant just a bunch of drama and you don't 
you don't lighten it up a little bit, then it just gets a little uh, dreary, you know, if you will. And it, it, it makes it um, not as quite as enjoyable as if you mix it up with a little bit of a little bit of humor, um, a little lightheartedness, and sometimes, um, and then even a little bit of romance in there. Whereas, you know, if you just have it constantly be suspense, then, then it doesn't give you anything to uh, compare it to as far as having lighter moments. You know, it makes the suspenseful movements a little bit more uh, impactful than they would be if you, you know, just have everything really dark and uh, nothing to contradict it or contrast it with. I like the details of the characters that you have in the book. You like have a little mini stories involvement in when in their little like a little background before something happens to them. Or I can't reveal because yeah. people may want to read the book and I don't want to spoil what happens. <laughs> well, I like to make sure that our the readers are connected to the characters that they feel like they they kind of you know it's a small town. It's, uh, if you know, it's, a, it's set into a fictional town in Maine. It's a coastal town where they have, like, lobster boats and shrippers and, you know, different fishermen, primarily. Uh, it's a very small town, though, so everybody knows each other pretty much. And I want the reader to get that same feel uh, as they would if they lived in that town, where they knew these characters and they knew a little bit about them. Uh, that they become uh, they become in, interested in these characters and they they grow to care about them. If they start caring about the characters, then they start caring about the story even more. And when things happen to those characters, uh, as you will find out as you read the you know the story, um, that it'll mean something to you when something happens to a character. And I've had some people be very upset with me. Because I had uh, certain characters that were murdered. And they were like, no, I don't want that person to die. <laughs> and, um, you know, but other characters that weren't quite so nice, they don't mind that so much. But uh, that's what, you know, I, I feel like if you understand what the person is, is about, what their history is, if they are, you know, are a good person or a bad person overall, um, you know, and there's a little mixture of everything, you know, that everybody's not so cut and dry. Uh, you know, you have good characters and bad characteristics within a person as well as, as the darker ones. So um, that's the whole point of part of these characters is to show that, um, you know, you're not always, just because somebody's always bad doesn't mean, I mean they're, they're fairly bad doesn't mean that everything about them is, you know, and the same thing for somebody being good. But they're a little bit of a mixture of both. Yeah, um, I, 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 what I like about characterizations, if if you read a really good book, if you, you get a, a, like a mind's eye what the character would look like in your head. I've got a picture of the sheriff. Right. Like, you know, like the sheriff in um, oh, the bandit. Smokey and the bandit. Yeah. I imagine the sheriff a little bit yeah, like that. Like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the same type of Carol O'Connor type of character where, you know, he's a little gruff. You know, you envision him having this hat on and a cigar in his mouth and he's, you know, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he's a little bit rude to people because he, he just doesn't care. He's getting ready to retire. He, you know, he, he just, he just wants to get his time in and be done and be ready to, to spend some time with his wife. You know, uh, he's done it for 
how many years now, you know, 40, 50 years or whatever, and, and he's, he's ready to, you know, get out of that scene, you know. He's getting too old for that. Well, what made you choose nuns, uh, n- nuns as a basis of the story? That was actually my friend uh, Karen, uh, Karen Van Hammond came to me originally. She had had a dream, and this was part of the how the story got started. Was that she had this dream, and if you uh, if you read the first, uh, and I can read this if you like, but if you read the first chapter of the book, I mean the the prologue of the book, that is basically based on the dream that she had. And she came to me and she said, you know, I have this story that I've, I've got an idea for and I'd like to, you know, work with you on it, you know, and see what, see if you uh, would be interested in doing that. And I, I read, uh, she had written down parts of the, the, uh, the first part of the story. And I thought, well, this is, this is actually a good, you know, good start for story. And it, it was the dream, though, that in, basically initiated that part. And as I worked with her, you know, it, the story evolved tremendously from the time that we initially started talking about it and working on it. Um, and so a lot of the, the ins and outs, you know, that it's a mystery. So we had to create a lot of rabbit trails, a lot of suspects, you know, it's not just one a story where you only have a few characters. If you did, then it wouldn't be a mystery. So, you know, you have to create this backstory so that you have an understanding of who these characters are, what are their motivations are, and uh, and so it was it was interesting when she brought this idea about the nuns, and I thought, well, that's a little different. <laughs> Sorry. My dog. Or go. Sorry about that. It's okay. Somebody honked outside, so I apologize. Um, but I can, if you'd like, I, I can read the uh, the prologue. Yes, please. Uh, the I think the listeners would like to listen in to that. Listen in, folks. Okay. Dense fog blanketed the canopy of autumn trees arrayed in a myriad of oranges yellows and reds. In the distance, ghostly wails from his foghorn sounded throughout the valley. Its melancholy sound sliced through the silent evening air as its vibrations crept up the lice house spiral staircase. In the lantern room at the top, the Fresnel stood sentinel, rotating endlessly, casting steam of light out onto the water. Anchored in the bay below, our lobster boats gently rocked back and forth in the surf, while the ominous storm clouds encroached upon them. A large black crow landed on the shoulder of a marble statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary standing watch over the monastery lawn. Dangling from the sacred maternal hands, a long strand of rosary beads swung back and forth in the coming storm's steady breeze. Loud calling emanated from the crow's black beak as the bird spread it and flapped its wings vigorously. The feathered hunter took only a moment to study its surroundings before flying away to find a safe haven from the storm. Rumblings of thunder filled the air as streaks of lightning clashed with the ocean in the distance. Light winds began to swell and howl while rattling the beautifully arched monastery windows. Raindrops steadily tapped on the colored panes of glass 
echoing throughout the corridors as the storm began its descent upon the campus. Suddenly, the monastery door was thrust open by a nun, frantically fleeing the building. Dressed in a dark burgundy habit, she ran down the front steps, flailing her arms and screaming over her shoulder, No! Stay away from me! Only seconds behind, a taller nun in a black habit clutched a short-handled axe with gloved hands while clasping these... Excuse me, while chasing the escaping sister. The dark figure slipped on the wet grass but regained her footing and continued to pursue her fleeing prey as the rain came down in torrents. The frantic nun disappeared into the woods as her screams for help evaporated in the wind. The burgundy habit flared out behind her as she tried to escape. Evergreen branches had slapped her face and scratched her arms as she tried to elude her pursuer. The nun's only, play, the only goal was to find a safe place to hide. As the terrorized woman ran through the woods, a low-lying branch caught her whipple, exposing her long, beautiful blonde hair and drenching in rainwater. Glancing back through the blinding sheets of rain, she was lost in a sea of branches and tree trunks. Suddenly, she slammed into her attacker. Tears burst from her blue eyes as the look of absolute terror and recognition came upon her. Why are you doing this? What have I done to deserve this? The dark nun mocked. What have you done to deserve this? You really don't know. Peering into her eyes with disgust, the ghastly nun grabbed her arm so hard that the blonde nun could feel the nails fall into her skin. Desperate to get away, the smaller nun tried to wrench her arm free, but could not escape from the dark nun's grasp. Please let me go. You know I love you, like my family. Immediately, the assailant vehemently ordered, On your knees, sister. Panicking, the frightened nun emphatically pleaded, No, don't do this. And then falling to her knees with her palms pressed together in front of her, she begged, No, don't hurt me, please. Without hesitation, the gloved hand brutally slapped at the nun's cheek. Why not? I have suffered silently for years due to your mistakes. You will never comprehend how much pain you have caused me. Blood, mud covered the side of her face as the nun fell. Her long blonde hair splayed out into the wet, on the wet ground. Frantically attempting to rise, the final thing the frightened nun saw was the sharp axe blade swinging towards her. A glimpse of shocked surprise was frozen on her face as her severed head landed on the ground. Her wide-opened eyes blinked twice as her lips voiced a silent protest. Her lifeless body slumped in the mud beside her head. Deep red blood spilled from her open neck, mixing with the falling water, excuse me, falling rain into dark puddles like tears. Desperately, the murderer trudged through the mud to where the nun's headpiece hung loosely in the branch of an old oak tree. Lifting it up on, in the rain, the killer inspected the whipple for any tears before hiding it in her own habit. Still holding the bloodied axe, the murderer turned to study the victim one last time, then slipped away, fading into the shadows. Somewhere in the dark of night, restless eyes twitched erratically beneath their slumbering lids. An airy moan escaped between the chafed lifts of its confinement. In the dreamer's mind, a rising wail of anguish rose and joined a booming clap of thunder. Violently, the figure bolted from the bed as a white flash of lightning drove shadows from the room and momentarily blinded the once sleeping eyes. And that's the prologue for Secrets in the Shadows, which that's 
Um, yep, I, I, put, I put the link to the book on, on my um, the, the event page. I'll, I'll mention all the links when after after we finish the show for you. Um, now, I know now you're working on a new series of books. I see that you have a, a, a new series of books. Can you tell me a little bit about these new series, this new series that you have out? Well, the um, the first series is a, is you know as you know has three books: um, the Secrets and the Shallows, the Devil in the Details, and Method and the Madness. What I've done is I got to the end of writing book three, and I was wondering what my next writing project was going to be. Then I realized that there was something, and I won't say what it is, but there is a specific item. That is, uh, I'll say this much, it's a curse item, and it could be anything in the book. It's not something that you necessarily realize that it's a curse item, but it's there on a continuous basis. It shows up from time to time. And so I thought, well, it would be nice to find out the story of this cursed item, because I didn't say how it ended up where it was and how it was, you know, it basically, it's discovered, but you don't necessarily know the, the background story for that particular cursed item. So what the next story is going to be kind of a combination of a prequel sequel to the other series, because I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to go actually back 2,000 years, and I'm going to tell the story of this mysterious uh, cursed item how it's created and its journey to how it ends up getting to where it's found in the first series. In addition to that, what I'm going to do is take the things that take place after this series, the murderer, the serial killer that is uh, in the first series has already been uh, discovered and you know they they dealt with that person in in the first series. So I don't I'm not going to revisit that aspect of it so much. Uh, it'll make mention of it, but it's not going to be the focus of the story. The focus is the point, you know is the is the curse item. And as um, as the story progresses, you will see how this cursed item continues to affect other people that are in this town. And so that's where the second story, you know, second series is going to, to come into play. And then at the, at the end of that, I'm planning on bringing a full circle back around to the first series and how it was discovered. And so it's going to come completely back around to the first series and, and, and connect back to how that was found. And, and so, and how it got there. So I think that that's going to be, it's going to be fun to write. Um, going, I'm doing a lot of research for, you know, going back 2,000 years to a different time era. And then I'm also going to have it discovered, how it's discovered in the second book is going to involve uh, World War II. And then it's going to be slightly before the events that are taking place in the first series when the last book of the third series is going to talk about how it, how this cursed item ends up in this town and what happened after that occurred prior to the events of this story of the first series. So 
it's, it's all going to be connected. Um, I've been thinking about it for a number of years now as far as trying to piece this whole thing together. And uh, I'm real excited about about that. Um, in a few minutes, we, you know, once we've talked a little bit more, I, I do have the uh, I can I do have an excerpt from the first book of the new series as well, and uh, so that will be a nice preview for everyone. I agree. Um, I presume you have to do a lot of touring to promote your books. Do you find that draining? I don't actually have to physically tour as much. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of book blogs, you know, that I can I can be a part of. I have a, an extensive connection on Facebook as far as uh, being involved in, in different radio shows like yours. And, you know, I've been on a number of radio shows over the year. I did, I did have to take a little bit of a break. I had some health issues earlier this year, and uh, that caused me to, to have to put, a, put everything on, on the back burner regard to my writing and so it was uh, it took a, about six months of my time to that I had to stop pretty much everything and uh, but I'm doing fine right now and I've been able to get back and going again but it's it's an exciting thing to do and see and talk to so many people uh, you know I've done radio shows for the UK as well as many over the US um, I haven't done any in any of the other countries yet, but I've done quite a number of different uh, focused ones, such as paranormal shows or horror, you know, as far as horror genre, uh, you know, podcasts and things like that. So, you know, that has been a blessing to have the Internet. You, you have that opportunity to in, interact with so many different people uh, around the world that you would have no access to normally. Yeah. So that's, that's kept, there's a lot involved with marketing and a lot of time involved in doing the podcasts and, and in addition to writing, it's like almost like a second job doing pod between marketing and, and touring online and things like that, as well as marketing online. It's almost like a second job for the author aspect. And then, the, the, of course, the writing and, and all that is a separate aspect, which takes its, uh, it takes a lot of time in itself. Well, I try to write myself. I'm not an author by any chance, but I like to write little stories. I think I I, I gave you one. I think for about my my uh, my little uh, Pekingese dog called, called Robbie that we had. Mm-hmm. He had. I I wrote down that he had a dream. It was called it's called Robbie Robbie's superhero dream and in it he has the power of super cute stare and i've also wrote different um like horror stories as well fun stories i wrote one today about basically what happened today is i wrote one about my wife and it's called bed saga my bed saga happens like this can you hear me can you hear me mother my, I wrote another bit to my my the, the initial bit book bits called my the story of a fo- fo- four foot eleven woman who's actually five foot one and that, and it's about the saga about 
When she was in hospital, she went through eight beds. And while she was on the bed, one bed was so high, they had to get ladders to go and get, make her have a cup of tea and nurses to care for her. And the other story is that basically, um, it's just basically stories like that that I do. Nothing special, nothing interesting, but hey-ho, you've got to start somewhere. Writing is a lot of fun. It's, um, I've learned a lot over the years about how to write, you know, improve my writing skills. One thing I've learned is that you never stop learning how to write uh, even better than you did before. And you learn by talking with other authors and, you know, having, getting feedback, especially from other writers. And it's, it helps a lot to understand how other authors see what you're writing, because a lot of times you don't see, you know, things that it might need uh, to make it even better. Uh, some of the things that I enjoy are writing within a story instead of writing about a story, if that makes any sense. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, may write from a narration standpoint. And I, I think of it as looking, like you're looking out the window and you're looking at a scene outside the window, but you're not really interacting with it. And so uh, one of the things that I enjoy is, is getting into the person's head with regard to the, the characters and, and learning about... Uh, what they are doing, you know, what they're thinking, and uh, and allowing that character become a, 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 like a living person to me almost. And um, so that's something that has taken, a, you know, a lot of feedback for, for me to know uh, where I'm doing things right and, you know, the other areas that I need to improve. No. When you, um, I, I, I know you wanted, you're hoping to do an audio version of your book. Mm-hmm. And is it? Uh, we have actually already started on that. Um, there has to be a little bit of adjustment, and the way that the setup is, as far as uh, writing, I mean, reading a book for audio than it is for, uh, you know, just reading, just having it for the, the printed edition or the ebook edition. So we are actually, we've already started on that process. Um, My husband actually is an actor, and he does 300 voices. So that's very convenient uh, when it comes to the narration and the stories. Uh, He is is working through getting the characters, uh, individual, the, the narration voice versus some of the character voices that he might use for the individual um, characters that are in the stories and that way there's a little bit of change with you know like the female and the male voices and things like that um, not necessarily so much extremely distinct between each character but you can tell a little bit more which character is speaking based on the voices and everything yeah I do so, I, I do a little bit of I, I do like a thing on my podcast so I call story time I yeah. pick a book I've done Winnie the Pooh I've done um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I did that. Mm-hmm. I like. The... I enjoy that story. Yes, I did. I, I, I like. I like. I like. You say you try to add a character to the Winnie the Pooh, like Winnie, Winnie the Pooh. I had like a boss bear. Oh dear. 
I'm sorry for Christopher Robin, that kind of thing. Yeah. I should give you a link to and um so you can listen to it. A bit of it. Okay. See what you think. You can just say, No, that was no good or what I don't mind. Anyway, let's go back to what we we talk about. Right. Now when you say you based your you talk to your characters if do you sort of like when you put your characters, do you sort of put place them in the room and you sort of say, oh, I'm talking to character George today and you picture George in your head and you're talking you sort of like talk to him so you can get the basis of your story, is that correct? Yeah, in order to create a scene that is realistic I I, I think of some books um when they, everything's too perfect or too, I guess, where the story is forced, a lot of times those characters are not real realistic. And so I want to make sure that, that mine are, don't come across that way. And what I'll do is I'll actually act out a scene with the characters and the various dialogues that are taking place. So I'll pretend like I am the characters and acting out those scenes so if somebody's having a fight in the in the in the story in that particular scene in that chapter, then I will actually have the the characters yelling at each other and things like that. So um, I'll pretend I'll go back and forth and I'll pretend to be the different characters and play the pretend like I am those characters and, and acting those out. And I'll work through um, those scenes. A lot of times, those especially those type of scenes, I might work several days on uh, in order to. Uh, get all the bugs worked out, and before I actually begin writing them down, I've already got a chapter summary that I've, I, the way that I, uh, I tend to approach things is I have a chapter summary, uh, a basic outline where I know certain things that I uh, want to take place within the book first, of course, but then what I do is I do a chapter summary where I, I write a paragraph or so of what I know what I want to take place. And before I actually sit down and write the story, if I've got one of these scenes with these characters, I will pretend like I'm the characters and come up with, I'll sit there and think, what would this character say? You know, in real life, if they were in this scene, if they were having this fight, or if they were having this, um, you know, uh, interaction with another character, what would they say in real life? And I think that that makes a big difference because it's the... the story seems more natural that way when when you have those things uh, and worked out before I sit down and write them I've already got it I've worked it through in my head about you know 50 or 60 times over the course of a few days and then when I sit down and I can actually write write it without a lot as much effort because I've already worked out a lot of the bugs and um, as I'm working through those scenes I'm actually, I'm saying it as if I was writing it down, if that makes sense. So it makes it a lot easier by the time I sit down. I've already worked out a lot of those things, and then I just have to smooth out the, the, the details when I, when I actually sit down and start physically writing it. Now, a lot of people are going to say, think, have you got yourself or family members in the book? That they may be in different disguises. <laughs> some characters based on family members um for instance katie's brother um my brother is anywhere because he doesn't care for paranormal books so 
so he doesn't he doesn't even realize that he's in my story um, sort of as a younger brother not in the same age as he is now but imagine him when he was like 15 years old and he was uh, my younger brother you know and so I do have him in there um, I also have some other characters that are named after either people that are, are even if the character isn't necessarily uh, a representation of that first person, I've, I've kind of honored that person by incorporating their name into the story. Um, there's a the character that's going to be in the next series. It's called Maxwell Forrester, and you know he goes by Max. And believe it or not, that's that that's out of uh, in honor of my dog <laughs> because um, I, I had a I had a well he passed away a year and a half ago I had a, a beautiful white shallow German Shepherd named Max and I thought well I'm gonna I'm gonna honor him in the story even just by naming a character after him and in, in this in, by calling him Max and um, so there's you know different aspects that I do incorporate yeah because that's quite but a common trait. That's quite a common trait with writers. They do use uh, traits sometimes that they not like the full character of the per, like a family member. It might be like a little trait. Right. Say they they're a bit eccentric. Right. You think, oh, I'll use that eccentricity. You put it in their character. Say like say you had a British character for example. Just an example, you could call him right. George. That's a commoner, and you could have him like slightly eccentric. Um, but he's curious enough to know what's going on in the world, and he meets like that kind of thing. You know, that's that's an example. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is that is something that I do um, on occasion. I, I not all of them. Um, now, my first, the primary character, or one of the primary characters in the first series is is Christopher Williams, and and that's named after. Uh, my husband's first name is Christopher, and his middle name is William. So I thought, well, I'll call it Christopher Williams instead of his full name. But uh, I had the name kind of after him. And uh, some of the characteristics, you know, he's a little bit, he's quite a bit younger than Chris is, but some of the characteristics of that character are, are taken from him as well. So there's, you know, there's little pieces of people uh, that I know that I've, I've peppered in the story uh, that I've written. So. Would you like some, some, if someone knocked on the door and said, hi, I'd like to make a film version of your book. How would you, now, would you like it to be portrayed like, like everything in the book or like sometimes when they use Hollywood transfers a book to film, it doesn't, it just boils not the full book, but just has a, emphasis of the book instead right um i've, I've actually uh, been because my husband is an actor i've been discussing this for, for quite a while of actually because he he has worked on uh, several screenplays and things like that himself and and of course i write but i would like to transfer the story into a screenplay and that way, I have a little bit more control. I've got, I'm a, I'm a little more of a control freak with it when it comes to my own story. I don't want somebody else to come and take it and then mess it all up, you know, by converting it into a, a screenplay. 
but not incorporate the essence of the story that I want to include. So we're actually going to, that's one of the things I would like to have, you know, to work on this coming, this next year is, is working on a screenplay. I'm debating on how I want to divide the book up. That's, that's my biggest issue is knowing how to divide because I, there's, there's three books. It's one long story. And it's about a total of 1,200 pages, so I would have to figure out what to cut out um, to be feasible. But I have a feeling I would really need to have it into two, two screenplays. I don't think it could be done in one. It would just be too, uh, too much. And so what I think what I'm going to do is, is basically incorporate the first two books into one screenplay, and then the second one... I mean, would be the second screenplay would be primarily what is involved in the third book. Because the third book, the, the way that they're broken up, the first book doesn't really tell you who the murderer is. You have an idea who the murderer is, but that is not revealed in the first first book. That is discovered in the second book, and then it's not exactly what you think. So. You know, you might have an idea who it is in the second book, but then it's not what you expect. So I don't want to leave the first, you know, the first movie, uh, if I break this into, write this into a screenplay, I don't want the person not finding out who the murderer is. Therefore, they pretty much have to, it have to end in the, with the second book. Um, the third book goes back and it tells the why. So the first book is the what because you find out about the, the murderers and a lot of the story that is the initial part, the, the first layer, if you will, two layers or so of the story. The second one, you find out the who. And then the third one, you find the why. So with the why, it actually goes back and has um, segments that are broken down so that it actually flashes back 30 years to the events that initiated why this person became a serial killer, why, uh, why these things took place that caused certain things to fall in place the way that they did, why people made certain decisions that affected everyone else. And so that third book also has what I call Easter eggs. Um, you know, there's a lot of items that you see along the way, but you don't necessarily understand their full significance until you read the third book where these items are, are in the past, and you see why they mean something or why, what their significance is uh, to the characters and w why they might actually help to find out who the killer is. For, because you have to understand, this is not just a mystery. Um, it's not just a mystery for the, the, the reader, but it's, it's also, you know, you're the individual characters, you might have an idea who the, the murderer is, but the police, you know, the, the sheriff and, and the deputies and the inspectors and the forensics people don't necessarily know who the killer is. And so the, the items that they're discovering are going to give them clues as to who that person is, who that killer is. And so um, you see how all these pieces fit together in the third book. So that's where I think that the, the second screenplay would be of the third book. And uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun um, seeing how those items kind of all come together, and that's important. So I don't want to leave that out 
but I don't know that I'd have enough room to do it in one one screenplay. No, only one you said. Sorry, only one you said you was going to read us an excerpt of your newest book. Would you like to do that? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have the prologue and part in the first part of the first chapter, and you'll see how there's a few things that might, excuse me, allude to um, the first series. But there's the prologue, and it, this is kind of like just to give you a little bit of a, uh, a background. Fury of the Fallen is going to involve angels and demons and ghosts. So it's going to be a little bit different, and the prologue is going to be kind of like a, a backstory to how this gets started, but then it will continue after the event that took place in the first series. So this first one is supposed to be kind of like a, kind of like a fairy tale beginning sort of. So the prologue for Fury of the Fury of the Fallen. The um, initial, there's a scripture at the beginning that says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Revelations 12.4 On the celestial plains before the fall of man, an epic battle erupted, the likes of which had never, been, never since been seen. The prince of the morning star raged against the god of all creation in a struggle for supremacy over the heavenly realm. A civil war destroyed heaven's serenity as Lucifer's legion stood against the rest of the ethereal army. Their enmity seemed to last for an eternity as the angels clashed in a conflict for the ages. They whom had witnessed the dawn of the Father's creation fought with all their might to control it. When the last of Lucifer's traitors succumbed to the Father's judgment, a third of the angels were forced from their home forever. Betrayed by one of the most one of his most beautiful creations, the Father shed a tear as he forced Arch Archangel excuse me, Arch Archangel Lucifer from his sight and cast him and his followers to the earth. Banished from his presence forever, in an instant, there was, they were no longer heavenly brothers, but rather enmity, enemies separated by the great divide. Part 1, Painful Memories, 2017. Chapter 1. As snow flurries covered the evergreen forest, smoke billowed up from the smoldering ruins of the St. Francis Orphanage. A caustic mixture of burnt pine needles, charred wood, and gasoline permeated the air. Without her breathing apparatus, rookie firefighter Megan Hastings would have choked on the fumes while putting on out hot spots in the fire-consumed building. As Megan shoved her pipe pole into piles of smoldering timbers and ash, she scanned the area for any sign of flames. Each time she found an actively burning area, she opened up the large hose nozzle and doused it generously. After hours of putting out the huge blaze, her fire team, along with joint efforts of other emergency personnel, had contained it without any additional buildings or trees catching on fire. Suddenly, Megan's radio came to life. A gruff male voice said, How's it going, rookie? Finished with the east side yet? Pushing her comm button, she replied, Just dousing a few hot spots, chief. But I'm almost done. Good. Let me know when you're finished. 
I just found out some new details about the incident, and I need to update everyone before we do anything else. I'll wrap it up and head your way, sir. Make it quick. You got it, Chief. Megan noticed one last area that needed some attention and carefully stepped over the fallen timber, some fallen timbers as she headed towards the corner. Just as she put her foot down, the debris under her boot shifted, revealing a charred hand sticking up from the ash. Startled, she screamed. Her radio squawked. Ricky, what's going on over there? Still st shaken up a little, Megan tried to regain her composure. She stared at the blackened, clenched fingers in shock as she responded. Sir, you want to come and take a look over here? I found a body. Keep your distance from the body. I'm on my way. Yes, Chief, she replied as she cautiously moved away from the area and waited, still staring at her discovery. So that's that's how it gets started for the for the next book. And uh, I hope you liked it. I did. I, I like. I as I say, I like the style that you write with. I like the fluency. I like you get the the person slowly but surely gripped. You don't go for the juggler straight away. You sort of slowly involve them in. I like that. I like to. I like to incorporate the setting. You know, I want the reader to feel like they're there. I don't want to just thrust the reader and trying to figure out what's going on. I like to ease them into it a little bit, give them a feeling of what the scene is like, um, any sounds or smells or, you know, like if it's raining, in this case, you know, it's snowing. Uh, and so I want this, but then you have the, con the con I guess, contrast with you have this kind of peaceful thing happening with the snow flurries and the evergreen forest, and then you have the smell of the gasoline and the, the pine needles that are burnt and the, and the charred wood and everything. So, you know, there's a little, there's a bit of a contrast there. And uh, so I like, I like incorporating those type of things because people remember, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, one of the primary ways that you can remember things is through smell. So, you know, if you remember a smell, you know, once you once you get that impression of how that thing smells, you will never forget it. You know, and sometimes it'll make you feel sick, and sometimes it's a great memory. But whatever it is, it will always be a reminder of what what was taking place. If you had a, that distinct scent that you that you uh, experienced. I strange that because so, I I I experience aromas, but of a different kind. I can smell things like death and strawberries. And, uh, I, uh, the reason I got this strange aromas is that I have had a near-death experience. Okay, I have two. Go ahead. Do, do you want to hear my first or do you want to do yours? Is it don't you? Right, yeah, you go Well, mine basically is, I was in a coma due to blood sugar levels of 1, 2, 6, which basically means I will be dying. I went straight from emergency department right up to ICU. I was there for three weeks in a, wow. in a induced coma. And whilst I was in the coma, I heard a woman's voice I've not heard before or since. And she told me to wake up. And I had an overwhelming feeling to wake up. And I, I believe this is what my guardian angel spirit guide. And I also 
believe that whilst I was in my coma, I was neither in the real world or the next world. And that's why I like to say, aka Coachman. Now you can say yours. Um, a number of years ago, I had, uh, I've had several times where I've had some serious health issues I developed. Uh, I found out when I was 18 that I had a hereditary disease that, that my father had. Um, he passed away about 22 years, 22 years ago, I guess it is now. And um, I found out I had the same disease, which is a colon disease. And I had to have about four surgeries total. But one of the instances, um, basically, they, well, the first surgery, they had to remove my entire large intestine and create this internal pouch for my small intestine. Well, within that pouch, a couple years later, um, I started hemorrhaging. And I went to the doctor in an emergency. They did an emergency um you know, endoscopy, and they ended up cauterizing it twice in order to get it to stop. Uh, he said it should be fine, and I shouldn't have, you know, it should stop by around midnight, um, and then it, it wasn't stopped by the morning to make sure to give us, you know, kind of a call. Of course, if anything more serious happened, to give them a call or, or come in to the ER. And I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and found that it had started bleeding severely, and so I woke my husband up at the time, <coughs> and uh, he ended up taking me uh, to, uh, well, he ended up taking me to the hospital, and while we were waiting, basically, uh, the, I kept on telling them that they needed to hurry, I could tell that I needed that something was getting ready to take place. Uh, I knew that that was going to happen. And it kept getting worse and worse. And they hadn't even put in my ID yet. They were dealing with a, a copula with someone else. And so finally, um, just as I was I was telling them, I know something's getting ready to happen. Please hurry up. Take care of me because I know this is going to happen. And just as um, that took place, uh, it ruptured. And the ulcer, I had a hemorrhaging ulcer in my intestinal tract, and the entire blood, the, the entire bed was covered with blood. Had I not, first of all, had I not already been in the hospital, or if I had been asleep, I would have died in my sleep, or I may not have made it to the hospital in time. Um, fortunately, I was there, because I'm here today, <laughs> and as that blood was draining from me, I lost two units of blood worth, of, and um, they started racing around everything. But I could feel that I was, it wasn't normal. You know, I was in this weird dreamlike state. And um, it's in this weird dreamlike state where everything was in slow motion and everything was muffled. And I, I felt like I was looking at it from, like I wasn't even there necessarily. I just, I just felt like it was all happening in a distance. Um, and as I was basically, you know, I was in the process of dying, you know, I felt like my, my spirit kind of lifted up and I was watching everything from a little bit more of a distance than I had been before. And... Um, 
I kept on, and it was such a weird, peaceful feeling. That's what the strange thing about it was that it was this strange, peaceful feeling. And even though I knew I was dying, it, I wasn't anxious. You know, I, I just kept on thinking to myself, is this how I'm going to die? Um, is this how I'm going to go? And, you know, I'm thinking about my kids and everything, but I wasn't scared, you know, or anything. So it was... It was an interesting sensation because it was peaceful, but yet it wasn't. It, it wasn't a peaceful situation. And all the nurses and doctors were running around the room. You know, there were several of them. They were trying to get my ID in so and my so that they could put my units of blood in and get me a, uh, get me a transfusion. And uh, of course, they did manage to get me taken care of before I passed away, but I was on the, I could tell that I was leaving. I was in the process of leaving. And it was just a very odd situation, you know, odd feeling. And I didn't actually die. I didn't actually go into a coma per se, but I was leaving. I was in the process and I was looking down on everything going on. You know, I wasn't like in my body anymore. So... Uh, it was a very strange experience, but I remember it very, you know, distinct, I, vividly. You know, I remember the way I felt, I remember what I thought, you know, I kept on thinking, what, you know, what's going to happen to my kids, you know, I wish I could say goodbye to them and all these things, but, you know, fortunately I didn't die, so. I think that it's like we've, everybody's had a near-death experience has a touched heaven, like their version of heaven. Just slightly, just like a fingertip. You've had a fingertip towards our version of heaven. Because mm-hmm. I believe we have all have our own version of heaven and all have our own version of hell. I don't believe there's one place. I think we have, we, when we go, we go to our version of heaven. Or if you believe in, if you've been bad, you go to your own version of hell. There's, there's so many different, inter- you know, I guess people's feelings on that. I, you know, like, you know, I've been raised in a Christian home. I have, based on my own experiences, I have my, my own interpretation of that to a degree. I do know that, you know, I've experienced ghosts in, you know, I lived in a haunted apartment for three years. Um, some of those were good spirits. Some of those were you know, there was one I called Mr. Mean, and he was absolutely horrible. Uh, I actually wonder at times if he might have been a, you know, demonic type of spirit. Um, the others were not. They were not negative spirits. There was at least three, if not four, um, spirits in that apartment. And the one that was what I called Mr. Mean... He actually did an audible growl that sounded like the guttural deep growl, and it was so close. It was disembodied voice um, near my shoulder, and it growled so close to me I could feel the vibrations on my neck, and you know, vibrations went in my ear and everything. And me and Chris were sitting there talking about writing, and when we were talking about stories and everything that we were working on 
And as that we were talking, that's when that growl took place. Well, the growl was so loud. I, I looked at him and I was, I was going to ask him, did you hear that? But when I looked at him, I could tell by his facial expression that he could hear it quite clearly. And in fact, he told me later that he could actually pinpoint that it was on my, behind my right shoulder that he heard it. And just as I was going to say something, the growl happened again. And so I jumped up and I grabbed him and said, oh, hold me, you know, and it was, it was, um, you know, that was a very scary experience. And within a few, you know, within a couple of weeks, um, there, there was a lot of activity in our closet where they hear the hangers being swished back and forth, back and forth. And boxes, big, large boxes were being uh, thrown off of the uh, shelf. And most Chris and I, you know, we couldn't sleep. We would hear this going on. We'd hear footsteps going through our bedroom, and no one was going through there by us. You know, we weren't laying in bed. And so, you know, a lot of these things are, fortunately, and I've been able to at least use them for some purpose because I've been able to incorporate some of these things in, in my stories. Um, the, the about of 10 days or so or two weeks after the growl took place, uh, actually, I felt a hand grab my calf and start pulling me off the bed. And I yelled to Chris, and Chris grabbed under my arms and started pulling me back on the bed. And I was basically being held between Chris and the spirit. One of my legs was being held by the spirit. The other one was dangling, and I was halfway off the bed. And so um, I actually incorporated that scene that experience into one of the chapters um, that if, you know, I'm not going to say too much about it, but, but when you get to this scene, you know that this is the inspiration for that particular chapter. It's a chapter uh, five in the third book is inspired by that experience. So those are some fun, I guess, fun little facts about my books. Guys, well, as you said, the paranormal world is a strange and wonderful place. And I'm finding out more and more that since I, I started in the world of cryptozoology, which is, you know, some people find it a bit well weirder than paranormal anyway, but I, I've been drawn more into the paranormal, more and more, and I find myself doing more talking to people like yourself and mediums and ghost groups and things like that. And I, I like hearing what they've experienced because I know people are sceptical paranormal and I can understand why they're sceptical there's nothing wrong with that you've got to be a bit sceptical otherwise you you don't want to be totally disbelieving but I think although we haven't got physical proof that the spirit exists we all know spirits do exist because the the Vatican as such has a unit that deals with it exisms now if they didn't believe in ghosts why do they need a unit that deals with exisms because all priests are trained to do it and i mean there's enough people that have had their own experiences i mean i'm not you know some flighty person i'm intelligent you know i've got my master's degree in biblical studies so you know i've i've you know, I'm not some, you know, just somebody out there that 
it's a nut job per se, if you want to say. But you know, I've had my own experiences, and and you can't convince me that they aren't real. You know, I mean, I've had physical things happen that other people have seen and experienced with me. Uh, we, you know, Chris and I had so many things happen in in that apartment that just it's it's beyond. I mean, I've, I've given you a couple of instances, but we had hundreds instances I would be here all night if I told you all the instances that we had I'd probably forgotten most of them but some of the main ones you know we've, we've had I've even seen um, a black uh, mass that's about two inches or three inches in diameter and you know I hate to use the word orb but basically it was a black mass uh, anomaly that would come out of our bathroom and Chris and I would be in the living room and we'd be watching TV or something and we'd look over and see this little black mass start floating around the living room and it would be, and this is even during the day, um, it would be floating around the living room. It wasn't a shadow of something, you know, it was its own little dense mass and it would float around and then eventually it would go through the ceiling. And it happened a number of times, and we were both there to experience it. And uh, there was a couple times that it actually happened where it went in our bed, you know, came from our bathroom into our bedroom as well. So, you know, it wasn't just a consistent location. It actually happened different times, different places, and different times of day. So it was, these things, you know, you can't ever necessarily understand what, what took place, but you know it happened, you know, if it happened to you. And uh, we don't totally understand these things, but there, you know, people enough people have experienced them that we know that they do exist. You know. Perhaps you could write a book about that, about your true experiences in the flat. Yeah, I've thought about that too. But for now, it's been kind of nice to to be able to incorporate them into the stories because. The stories themselves are fictional. They're based on fictional characters. They're based on fictional events, fictional towns, you know, everything. So I can incorporate these these real experiences that I've had into my stories without people thinking I'm crazy. <laughs> That's all right. People think I'm crazy all the time, but I don't care. Um, um, now, would you like to give any links for people who listening and might like to get... get buy your book or look up your books or sure, sure. and um you know you can find me on facebook my uh if you search my name on google you will find it quickly um my name is spelled kimberly k-i-m-b-e-r-l-y and my last name is brulette b-r-o-u-i-l-l-e-t-t-e and um, if you go on Amazon, if you want to get on my Amazon author page, it's uh, like basically it's tinyurl.com forward slash write, W-R-I-T-E-R-I-G-H-T, the number four in the letter U. So uh, tinyurl.com forward slash write, write for you. And um, you can also find me on uh, on Facebook, um, Kimberly Brulette, author editor, and also I'm on Twitter, right, right for you, just like it was before. And I'm also uh, I'm also on Goodreads, and I have other links as well. You can, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn and several, and Instagram and things like that. Um, 
pretty much like I said, if you search my name on Google, I'm fortunate that my last name is unique. So I'm pretty much the entire first page of the search engine when you search my name. <laughs> I know what you mean. When, when I looked up myself, as you do, because that's what I did, I looked up myself at Mark Anthony Rains, a.k.a. Ghostman. I had 98 pages, because I'm a bit eclectic. I do a lot of things. Oh, wow. If you look me up, uh-huh. you'll find that I'm, I do writing, comedy, I do a bit of horror hosting, I podcast, I blog, I, oh, I'll do everything. Yeah, we've, we've done, actually, a long time ago, um, well, I guess about six years ago, we, uh, my husband and I actually tried to do a, uh, a, a web, so, a web, web show. Um, we did an actual paranormal investigation, and it was under What Lies Beyond um, is a quest for the truth. And so we just have the one episode because it took so many, it took hours to put the, the, between doing the investigation, doing the review of all the evidence, and then also taking all that and cleaning up the noise and everything in order to hear things and then to produce the show. It was probably about 2,000 to 2,500 hours to do everything. So it was just too much, especially when I began writing. It, it was just more than I could do to do both, and just being us. So, you know, we had we've we've had our own different experiences as far as different types of media. Um, Chris is an actor, so I've managed to get a couple of IMDb credits, so they're nothing of consequence. And um, so it's been, you know, we've I had a nice array of different experiences as well. So. Yeah, I, uh, that's what I like about uh, that's why I like podcasting because I got into it basically because I like talking to people like yourself. And I started off in the 22nd of the 11th, 2017, and I'm now at combined downloads of over 20,000 downloads. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> well. You may, I may notice that I do a lot of episodes as well. I do, I've over, I think I'm over 2,000 episodes combined. I'm very productive. That's a lot. I like, I just, I just put stuff out there and if I have one listener, I don't mind. It's, it's not about, I just like, I'm quite happy people listen to me. I'm not worried about fame and fortune and, I'm, I like to say to people, I'm famous in my head. That's about the famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, it's it's. I don't write. You know, you're saying about being famous. I don't care about fame or anything. It's it's nice to have people actually read my stories because that's kind of the purpose of me writing them is for people to read them. But for people to actually enjoy reading them and telling me that they enjoy my characters, you know, that's a lot of the reward. Is when people tell me, yes, I, I loved your story. You know, I couldn't put it down or, you know, they read, uh, you know, one an entire book in one weekend. And then, you know, then because they're big books. I mean, each one is about 400 pages. So, you know, for all three of them, it's about 1,200 pages. And, you know, people told me they, they read one and then they had to, put, had to hurry up and hurry up and read the second. And within a week had read 
you know, the whole series. But um, so people can recognize them. This is again um, the Secrets of the Shallows. That's the first book, and it did win the um, 19. I mean, excuse me, 2016. I mean, excuse me, the 2014 Paranormal Awards. Um, the second book is called Devil in the Details, and it also won the, the 2015 Paranormal Awards. It also won the new Apple Awards. I don't have the, the emblem on this particular book, but um, it won the for, uh, for Mystery. And then the last book of the series is Method in the Madness, and again, this one is the finale part of this particular series. The fourth book that will be coming out, uh, it should be coming out in the spring of next this coming year, so 2019, and it will be called Fury of the Fallen, and it's the first book of the Forever Fallen series. So hopefully uh, people will enjoy them. I am getting ready for those who are interested. I'm going to be doing a new uh, order because I'm about out of my books. So if you are interested, I am doing a, set, a special uh, sale. Uh, if people want to order them directly from me, and they would be autographed before I sent them to you. But a pre-order special, if you buy all three, it would be uh, the normal price of each book is about $18 a piece for paperbacks. But I'm doing the special for about $40 plus shipping and handling of about $6 within the continental U.S. It would be obviously a little bit more if it's outside of the U.S. But um, they would be autographed, of course. And if you are interested, or they could be $15 a piece if you pre-order. Um, and I could do, um, take to uh, PayPal and uh, secure credit card through the PayPal. So if anybody's interested, um, I'm trying to do an order within the next few days, hopefully by the end of this weekend. And um, please... Feel free to direct message me on Facebook or Twitter and let me know that you're interested. Yes, well, before I go, we go, I like to always do a, a, a sign-off to people that I talk to. Are you ready for the sign-off, Kimberly? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, speak with you, and I hope that everybody um, has a wonderful weekend. And uh, if you are interested in a series that, of books that it combines uh, the mystery of Agatha Christie, excuse me, the, uh, a little bit of horror from King, and the suspense of Alfred Hitchcock, then I think that you would enjoy my, my books uh, that I have. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you today and, and enjoy speaking uh, if you have any, if you have any questions about my books, feel free to message me. I'm, I'm very accessible, and I look forward to hearing from people that have read my books. Okay. I'd like to know what you think about my characters. Okay, me so, Thank you very my, much for the opportunity. Here is my unique sign-off to you. Thank you, Kim Lee, for being on my show. I like to talk that we talked, you know. I shall read your book. Some more today, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you for being on my show. It's great to talk to you. you know. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. God bless. Ta-ta, everybody. Good night. Ta -ta. Nana's magic soup. I'm looking after my grandson today. 
He's not feeling well and my daughter's at work. So I'm cooking something to make him feel better. It's lots of stuff he doesn't normally like. Carrots, onions, peppers. Until I put them all in the blender and turn them into a bowl of Nana's magic soup. Thanks, Nana. You're welcome, my love. Make your own magic soup that's packed with flavour and two of your five a day. Food Love Stories, brought to you by Tesco. <laughs>